Hello and welcome to the brand new Ask the Ed podcast where I'll attempt to answer your questions, though I can't promise you will like the answers. So let's get straight on to it with the first question from Tom Beer, the Chelsea site. He asks, what do you do for a living? The simple answer is that I do the sites. I edit, research and write articles and now do the podcast, though living is a relative term as I very rarely actually get to do any living. Right, so on to question two, and Japs asks, what are the signings Man United could make this window? The focus had shifted mainly onto Dybala and Fernandes, though Dybala did not actually want to join, it was just Juve wanted him out, and it was someone that United had been interested in for a while. The move looks to be dead and buried though with him, not being able to agree terms. Um, Fernandes, yeah. It looks like he'll be going elsewhere by the looks of it if he moves at all. So it's more maybe an alternative like Milinkovic Savage could come into the uh, come into the equation. Time is going to be the big factor now, and there's also David Neres that um, they'd like from Ajax. While the Ajax don't want to sell and don't need to sell, the player is interested in looking for a move and wants to assess his options. The only question is whether he'd move to a team outside of the Champions League. Question three is from Irishman who says, We've often heard Klopp say being a good player is only part of the reason he wants to sign them. He says it's what they're like as a person, character-wise, etc. How do they determine these traits? Well, once the data analysts have identified a player as a potential target, the club will then scout them through footage and send their scouts to watch them live. A good scout will do more than just watch them. They will speak to the travelling diehard fans that go to away games, ask them about the player... They'll speak to his family if possible. His background will be investigated. Speaking, they might even speak to former coaches. The the club itself might send people to get to know his family. They will also look into their social media accounts, check out what kind of activities they get involved with away from the pitch. Do they do charity work? Do they get involved in the club's community work out of choice? Or do they have to be coerced? Do they arrive for training punctually? And do they stay behind to work on their game? Or, you know, there's hundreds of data points to analyse to decide what kind of person they are and if they are right for the club. Especially nowadays with social media, that tends to be one of the main uh, points they look at. Then it's Cooley Cop who asks if I see any more incoming signings for Liverpool this window. Other than what looks to be Adrian from the former West Ham keeper coming in to replace Mignolet, it's probably not going to be anything much now. Not offloading Kent and Wilson early has made things a little difficult as there is a huge bloated squad there with a lot of players on the fringes that need to be moved on really before you know before being before new players can come in. The next request is from Dagenham Gunnar who asks for predictions, but I'm sorry mate, I don't do them. I'm far too superstitious. In fact, I'm ridiculously superstitious to the point it takes over my life during the season. On to Matt24's question, which is, would you be able to go through the transfer progress process even? How inquiries are made, how agents or clubs tell the players about outside clubs, the negotiation process such as fees, add-ons, and how agents negotiate player salary. This stuff has fascinated me, but I only have a superficial understanding of the whole thing. That is really a question and a half, or more like about seven questions in one. There isn't really one correct answer to this, as clubs do not always follow the same pattern as some are run differently than others. So I'll go through a successful straightforwardish move as it usually happens now. The interested club will speak to the player's agent uh, informally and ask if the player is available and would they consider a move to the club. 
If they get the right answer, they will then approach the club directly, which may come in the form of a phone call, a direct visit for someone empowered to negotiate a deal, or a meeting while both parties are represented as something such as a UEFA event, for instance. Firstly, to check if a deal is possible, then a negotiation will ensue when the answer is yes to get broad terms established. Depending on time, they might even actually agree the fee there and then, and who takes responsibility for agents, fees, etc., the player and his agent will then be formally spoken to in order to sort out personal terms. Once that is all agreed, it is back to the selling club to finalise the deal. Details such as when payments are made, add-ons for various achievements such as winning the Champions League could involve an extra payment. Then it is signatures on contracts and sending the details to the relevant authorities such as FIFA's transfer matching system and the local FAs to get clearance for the transfer. A lot of it just comes down to haggling over terms, to be honest. I mean, it's a bit like going to a shop in, you know, in an Arabic country and you have to haggle over the price of things. It's very similar to that. You're trying to establish, a, a, you know, a, a baseline price for things. I mean, that is massively simplified, simplified and it is only a tiny percentage of potential transfers that are actually finalised. But I hope that gives you a bit more of a basic understanding for now, anyway, at least. The next one is for Sue Red Devil. Don't worry, you're not going mad, mate. You did wish me happy birthday, but the post was deleted because it was on a um, a duplicated link, and the link was was removed when the correct link was posted up. So I, I replied, I didn't know if you'd seen it before it got deleted, but as you obviously didn't see it, thank you very much, mate. Next up is a question from the Rivian, who seems surprised that we had a good idea, understandably, but he will no doubt be less surprised when he realises it was actually a suggestion from one of the posters rather than as editors coming up with a good idea. First off, yes, this is this kind of question is allowed, encouraged even as I enjoy this kind of question. He asks about the Barcelona-Manchester United match last season. For Messi's first goal, when he had beaten Fred and was cutting in, Suarez made a run for which both Smalling and Jones went to cover. During the live match, it looked comical, leaving Messi with acres of space. How you think we should have defended it? Suarez was running right in front of Smalling and Jones, sensed him running behind and tries to cover him. Is this case of genuine misunderstanding between the two centre-backs? Whose mistake was it that how that goal could have been prevented. I don't know if it is a silly question, but would like to get your opinion on that comical play by our centre-backs. First off, I mean, it is a case of poor communication. Smalling is well known to be particularly poor at communicating. He is not vocal at all. He does not let his teammates know what he is doing, so they often left guessing, which has been something that's been a major problem for Man United in recent years. Jones was facing up Messi and should have gone to close him down while Smalling tracked the run. Because Jones had no idea Smalling was tracking the run, he also dropped off and tried to deal with the running behind. The main mistake is Smalling's. Well, the initial mistake was Young's for not clearing the ball and giving it away to Messi, but once he has got it, Jones should have got much tighter to him. His job should have been to close off the ball, but he did not know what his partner was doing and so was second-guessing. They might not have stopped Messi slotting it home anyway, but they made it easy for him, which should never happen. Oh, and it should be pointed out that you know, when, specifically when you're facing Messi, you've got to close him down. He is the priority on the, when he is on the ball. He is the danger man. They should, you know, they should be doing their preparation. They should know exactly who, uh, how to act when Messi is on the ball, and that is you do not give him time and space. In fact, I'd have to question the midfield as well. There should have been a midfielder dropping in there and and trying to close, chase him down, 
as well as Jones closing him down from in front. You, sh- you have to swarm Messi as Liverpool showed in the Champions League. If you do that, he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the time and space to cause real damage. RJ Man United asks if I have a player I never rated until I watched them in person, and the performance completely changed my opinion of them. I would say nobody I'd never rated at all, but Robbie Fowler. I mean, I knew he was good until I saw him in the flesh, and then I realised just how incredible he actually was. He was otherworldly and fully deserved his nickname of God. On the other hand, someone I had high hopes of until I watched him in the flesh was Dean Saunders. He was utter cack. One of the worst players I ever had the misfortune to see. How he made a career at the top level is beyond me. His touch was terrible. He was embarrassingly poor and a prick of a person too. The next question is from Pix, who wants to know what the Ed's footy backgrounds are. Apart from Ed 2, who I can't answer for, the rest of us are a bit like Arrigo Saki, who was not a player before moving into management and famously said, though I am paraphrasing it a bit, I didn't know I needed to be a horse before I could become a jockey. While we all obsess over the sport, none of us made it into the professional game. Probably, I don't think any of us even tried, to be honest. Though I did hear Ed 25 did spend some time on the game before bankruptcy forced him to get a different job. So on to Slate151 who asks, This is United right-hand side related, but applies to other teams. What are your views about signing players and knowing they'll be used out of position? United's right-hand side of attack sees various options at full-backs, centre-forwards, number 10s or central midfielders. Is it better just to buy a player who specialises in what you actually want, rather than shoehorn players to play there as you want to fit them into the team? In my opinion, unless a player grows into a new role and ends up making it his own, playing a player out of position should only ever be a short-term option. You shouldn't be buying to play, you know, a player to play out of position. It should only be for things such as covering injuries. You do need some players who are flexible and can play a number of roles, but it makes no sense to target a right-back if you actually need the right winger. You're better off not buying than buying the wrong player. In United's case, Rashford was always a right winger before making his debut up front. There are also youngsters capable of stepping up. Using those youngsters would make more sense than buying someone who doesn't fit the role and shoehorning them into the place. Best of Best wants to know if I think the Glazers have an exit strategy and if there will be more signings before deadline day. I assume that's for United. Uh, anyway, no good investor buys into something without an exit strategy, so there will always be a plan to go out, get out with a nice profit in their bank accounts. Though the change of direction the Chinese government took a few years ago did block off one avenue that they had been actively exploring at the time, the sale to Chinese investors. So I don't know what their exit plan will be now. Um, as for signings, time is running out, but United are not done yet. So I'm sure they would try to complete at least a move for a central midfielder, Fernandez or Milinkovic-Savic, for instance, both of whom have been long-term targets. Now a bit of a change as it's a Rangers question, and Cooper fan asks if I think Rangers need Kent. And that's a good question as it does seem to be the main topic of conversation on the Rangers site. As a Liverpool fan, I've seen a lot of Ojo, and technically and physically he's capable of better than Kent, but... And this is a big but. His attitude is far too laid back. He will struggle to ever achieve what he should if he is not more decisive, more aggressive in his play. Unfortunately, I do not see that in his makeup at all. Someone like Kent is more of a big game player. He thrives when the pressure is on, which was why he was at his best in the games against Celtic. For me, Kent would be a much better option for Rangers and would improve them massively. 
Right, the next question is from Bobby's Teeth, and it's where are Villa getting the cash from? And that's quite simple, actually. Um, 55% of the club was bought in July 2018 by the NSWE Group, which is a company owned by two billionaires. American Wes Eden and, I think he's Egypt's richest man, Nasef Sawiris. Sawiris is now the chairman of the club, and they are providing backing for a Prem stay. And I apologise for the uh, pronunciation of Sawiris. And I've been practising that for two days and I still can't get it right. You don't want to know how many attempts I took just to get something legible in there. Big C wants to know if they can have a blue button. Um, yeah, of course you can, mate, but pressing it could lead to dire consequences. Villa Dave wants to know how the Villa site compares to other teams' forums and if they are up there with the football intellects of today. Well, you really don't want to know about the comparisons to other sites. It wouldn't be a pretty answer. As for the intellects question, does anyone have a nice way to say no? Um, I'm not sure what passes for a football intellect these days. We do have a playwright on the lead site. Well, no one ever even knew people still made plays or watched them like. And I wouldn't call him an intellect either. I mean, he's from Bermondsey. You don't get intellect in Bermondsey, do you? Gianfranco Gola has decided to be extra greedy and ask for three questions at once, so I'll answer them one by one. The first one is an odd one, as he asks if God was a footballer, who would he be? Well, God was a footballer. His name was Robbie Fowler, of course. The second one is a much more difficult one to answer, as he wonders why is Pep so loved by media? What is the difference in him and Jose 15 years ago, but the media seemed to dislike Jose? To be fair, 15 years ago, Jose was loved by the media. When he first arrived in England, he was given a similar kind of hero worship. The media only turned on him later. The English press loved to build up heroes, only to drag them down afterwards. As for Pep, they have a love affair with him because he is winning. But it will only last for a while before they get bored of him. Then they will start stop looking at only the good things and notice that he is not actually perfect. That for all his whining about how he can't afford players the other teams have bought... He happens to have the most expensively assembled football squad in history at his disposal. Though I doubt he would stay around long enough for it to happen, to be honest. And the third question is the most difficult to answer, as he wants me to explain why Steve Bruce is still working in football. I mean, you know, that is the million dollar question there, isn't it? But actually, the answer is quite simple. It comes down to contacts. He knows the right people. Football is very much about who you know rather than what you know. Well, that concludes the first Ask the Ed podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, or if not, I hope it's helped you to sleep. Take care, and I'll probably do another one tomorrow by the looks of it. In fact, looking at the number of questions left, I'll probably be starting another one in about five minutes' time. So keep the questions coming, and I hope it's been useful for you.